somebody questioned what he would do if he was bitten by the snake and he said oh i'm good i won't even need a an escort out i've got everything that i need to take care of a snake bite in my pack whatever that is unless he's talking about the keys to his car he's he's not intelligent i don't care if your se knife is fluorescent yellow i mean that's why they made those knives because people were interested in carrying a big zombie fluorescent yellow knife and se makes a good knife uh, a fire piston is a fantastic tool to have in your hand if you don't have anything else for self-defense and you need to beat somebody in the face with it Hey guys, welcome to the Survival Show podcast with Craig and me, David, where it's our job to take you step-by-step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster. And it's our greatest desire here to show you how to use the lessons you learned today and we'll all learn today from each other to thrive in your life tomorrow. Craig, how are you, my friend? And we were just talking. Craig had a Really cool speaking engagement yesterday that he's all jazzed about, and I am too for him. So what's going on, man? How are you? Uh, doing well. Doing well. Got an, As you mentioned, I got an opportunity to speak to a Leadership Summit for EMS professionals throughout the state of Kentucky yesterday. And so that's always an honorable thing to be able to, to work with people that, you know, are in the business of saving lives. <laughs> it's always honorable. It's always humbling, actually, mm-hmm. to be able mm-hmm. to do that. So I was very pleased that they asked me to come do that. And you are humble. You said that you spoke, but you were a keynote, keynote speaker. I just want to, I just want to mention that, and that was very cool, huh? Yeah, and the beautiful thing, there were several speakers, and I was one of six. And it, it's interesting. I, I asked if I could come and listen to the other speakers. The other speakers did not do that, and I'm like, hey, man, it, you got you got a room full of really good speakers. I want to hear what they've got to say. I mean, it's always about learning, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's uh, – and so I took the opportunity to listen to some other guys and a good friend of mine, Tim Farmer, who uh, Emmy Awarded winning host of Kentucky Field here in Kentucky. He spoke. I've been on his show on TV several times, but super nice guy. I loved hearing him speak. At, but, uh, yeah, there's always opportunities to learn if you'll look for them. Yeah, so you gave and you received. Yeah, yeah, that's the way it works, man. That's the way I like to do it. And I received from your manly musings, and I am now sitting out here. It's a beautiful day in the mountains of north central Pennsylvania, and I'm in my happy spot. And you know right where that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah I've been, been there. Before. I've been there. It is a beautiful spot out there. Just don't let the bears eat you or anything. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right, what do we got next here, Craig? So, guys and gals, our mission here is to help you progressively increase your survival IQ. So you leave out of here better prepared at the end of the show than you were at the beginning. And coming up today, there's it's going to be a fun show because some of the stuff, I don't know what David's going to bring up. We're going to talk about survival gimmicks. And we purposely have set this up so that I get surprised by what he's going to talk about and I get to share some thoughts as well. But um, with this idea of survival revival over the last 10 years or so, we'll call it that, uh, survival gear has become an incredibly popular topic and, uh, you know, very, very profitable for many. And manufacturers and marketers have been very happy to oblige us with some great, but here's the catch, not so great gear as well. So what we're going to do is we're going to deconstruct how and why this has happened in relationship to what we always talk about, which is mindset, skills, tactics, and gear. And we're going to value some of these gimmicky items. David's got a list. Again, I don't know what's on this list. And we're going to go about taking a look at it that way. Because it's our interest for you to not have a false sense of security 
and uh, possibly cause injury or your life. So we'll talk about those items. But, but, let me add this. Before we get into that, I know uh, everybody, man, I I got at the speaking engagement yesterday, there were a lot of people there that listened to this podcast, actually. And they were giving me some really positive feedback on on some things, particularly the PTSD segment we did for first responders. Everybody in this room mm-hmm. were senior leadership in their individual EMS service throughout the state of Kentucky. And so they were really interested in the PTSD segment that I did with Trevor Wilkins a few weeks ago. Um, but but they were like, you know, what can we do to help? And I'm sure some of you all thought that as well. So here's what you can do. A few things. I'm going to go through them quickly. Uh, anchor.fm forward slash the survival show. There's a support this podcast button right there. Click on that and you can support us. Uh, the survival show.com. There's going to be a lot of content there, extra podcast training gear, checklist and more coming to you soon. Tiny survival guide. We've been talking about that a lot. I shared a couple of tiny survival guides with some senior people yesterday. They were excited about those. And uh, obviously my books, I've got one on gear. So the topic today is on gear. Check out ultimate wilderness gear. Uh, the reason I wrote that book was not as a buyer's guide, but actually an educational tool for you to look at materials and all the things that go into different pieces of outdoor gear. And so many other social media options. Our YouTube channels, David's Ultimate Survival Tips, mine, Nature Reliance School. I've got live classes. And just look at all those things. Look at them. Check it out. That's a lot you of can things, pick, man. You can pick one of those things. And if nothing else, just share the podcast on social media. It's free. Just go to Anchor FM, Anchor.fm, share the podcast, and that helps us get exposure. So That's all really good stuff, Craig. So you ready to get into this gimmick stuff? I think so. I hope we agree, and I don't, you know. We I don't, don't want to agree on everything. <laughs> we'll see how it goes, <laughs> well, man. We'll see. Let's get into we'll this. See. All right, let's go. So, Craig, let's first discuss the relationship between preparedness and survival and gear. And can you just talk us through this whole mindset, skills, tactics, and gear thing? Okay. So, the in my mind, uh, mindset, skills, tactics, and gear is the order of business. Your typical person that wants to get into survival usually does it in reverse. Uh, they pick up their gear and then they go about trying to... Uh, see what they're going to do with it and learn how to use it and stuff of that nature. Uh, My perspective on survival and those that teach it for a living uh, professionally, that is, is this idea of some variation. It doesn't have to be these exact words, but you got to have ways to bulletproof your mind, strengthen your mindset. You got to have the ability to develop skills, which is the shelter building, fire building, water purification, all things go with it. Tactics, is a word that I use just to describe uh, working with others and then the gear. And when you recognize that mindset, skills, and tactics are lacking, then you fix it with gear. And that's why this old adage of knowledge weighs nothing is so valuable. And it's true because it is true, Meaning, meaning the more you better yourself with your mindset and your skills, the less gear you're going to need. So the more you know, the less gear you carry. So it's it's just it's they're mutually inclusive of one another. They they need one another, but uh, when one increases, the other one decreases, which is uh, uh, a very interesting relationship between mindset and gear. 
And as we all walk down this weary path, we all get older. And I've learned, uh, I have forced myself over the last couple of years to take less and less with me and to develop my skills to be able to do that and to feel comfortable, obviously, to do that. So you've always got that too. You've got, uh, there's this mindset that, hey, I'm going to carry 50 or 60 or 70 pounds a year and I'm going to bug out or I'm going to go camping that way. Well, you can try that. And if you're a really strong dude or dudette, that's awesome. And if that's how you get your exercise, that's cool. But I'll just say that I'm not going to do that. Not anymore. I used to do that. No more. But like Craig said, gear is a force multiplier. So when we get into this whole survival preparedness thing, I, I think a lot of us just feel like we don't know much. And and that's fine. That's fine. That's why we're here. That's why there's great books like Craig's books, The Tiny Survival Guide, lots of people on YouTube and live training classes. But we have this whole industry now that, I, I don't know, I'm going to ask you what you think about this, Craig, but I, I almost feel like, because I have been in marketing for many, many years beyond anything that I've done here in the last, you know, six or eight years with ultimate survival tips. And when there's a market for things, companies produce gear to fill that niche and they will continue to produce gear to fill that niche, whether it's useful or not until that money stream dries up. And so I almost feel like the industry at large and maybe even some teachers and instructors have complicated this whole thing to give themselves a job and give themselves something to do. And I, I feel like, Craig, that one of our jobs here is to try and simplify this all down so that people don't get overwhelmed and and get stuck. And do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. I mean, it's I think money is to be made in the, in, in the survival industry and people are learning how to to make money. And I think we were finally rounding the corner where we can get past all the idiocy of it all and get back to an academic and intelligent understanding. People that like to make money always prey upon anti-intellectuals, people that really don't understand what it is that they're doing. And they don't actually study the, the, the topic at hand. And so it's easy to rob people of money. And I, and I'm not using that term loosely. I, I consider it robbery rob people of their money by lying to them. And, you know, you, you hear these guys that sell, this is the greatest knife ever. And then next month they got another knife out. This is the greatest knife ever. And this is the greatest knife ever. And I'm not saying that every knife should feel perfect in everybody's hand and, and knife manufacturers, you know, try to make knives to, to satisfy a large number of people. But when somebody over and over and over again says, this is the perfect knife, this is a perfect knife. You got to get this one. It just wears on me. It just really wears on me. And honestly, we want stuff because it's just it's just where we're at. And there's almost this discontent that marketing makes us feel like there's always something better, faster, stronger, and what we have that we got last year isn't as good. As far as a knife, just get yourself a good, tough knife that you're comfortable with and stick with it. You don't need I'm, – I'm just saying I have a lot of knives. But when it comes right down to it, Craig, I use about three of them. I don't know if you're the same way, but it's it wouldn't even be it wouldn't be more than that. I've got a neck knife. I've got a 
I've got a full tang knife and I've, I use more knives quite a bit too. And outside of that, they're sitting in bins and boxes and on my shelves. So don't just watch out for the marketing gimmicks, I, I guess is, is what we're saying. And, and I think that's where a lot of this comes from. And maybe before we go any further, because I do have a question coming up here where I actually want to tweak you because you get fun and entertaining when I make you mad. So, <laughs> but before we get into this, you want to just define for us a gimmick. So we just kind of have a, a starting place because I think that word means different things to different people. Yeah. Simply put, uh, gimmick is a trick or device intended to attract attention, publicity, or business. So that's what we're talking about today is is a gimmick. I mean, everybody has their own meaning for this word, but define, that's what it is. So that's what we're going to be taking a look at. Now let's separate, and this is my little tweak question to see what happens here with you, but can we separate out the idea of fun? And there's all these survival hacks now. They get tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube. Survival is a hobby, all this entertainment, edutainment stuff and true survival survival, and how that relates to what we spend our money on for gear. Because, Craig, you know that some of this gimmick stuff is just all about some fun, right? What says you? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, Evan Hill said this the other day when I was interviewing him for the podcast that, you know, one of the, one of his friends, Bart Combs, who's, I, I, I've met Bart, I've talked to him personally. He, uh, I, I don't know that I call him a friend cause I just don't know him that well, but, um, he oversees Sokoa, which I'm a big fan of their fast fire product. And Bart teaches a lot of survival to, to really specialized units within the United States military. And most people see survival as, um, just the way it is and that we're going to do it. We're going to go out and do survival. It's just part of who we are and what we are. And Bart said that survival should be the exception. It's the thing that really stands out. It's the anomaly. And most people utilize survival, again, as you mentioned, uh, very aptly, it, accurately, that it's a hobby. And, and again, I really don't have any issue with people playing with gear, uh, entertaining themselves, particularly if it gets them outside. I'm a big fan of people getting outside. Um, my concern is that I'm not an entertainer and this is why I'm just not very good um, in certain venues because I don't like to entertain people. I do like to enrich people. I call it, you have three choices, entertainment, education, or enrichment. And you've got to determine as someone who presents information on what end of each of those do you want to be legit? And I prefer to be legit on the educational side of things. Some of the enrichment, yes, and entertainment, I'm just not much of an entertainer. So that's what it seems to be. Most people are entertaining themselves with survival gear rather than actually trying to educate themselves on the on the topic of survival. And I would argue with you, I do think you're entertaining, Craig. When, when the education stops, yeah, after you know campfire <laughs> time, we'll have a good time. All right, so you want to take a look at some of this gear, and I'll just emphasize what hey, you said. Hey, I'm waiting, dude. I'm waiting. This is the moment. Craig, I have not gone over this list with Craig. We specifically decided earlier today when we came up with the topic that he would not know what I was going to bring up. So I'm going to start with, a, with one that you can we'll probably both agree on, but I'm not totally sure. 
So we've got these, and I have them actually sitting out on the picnic table with me. We've got these wire finger hand saws that end garbage. up seem to end up okay. Garbage, really? Yeah. Why do you say that? Because I don't know why you need to saw something in a survival situation. I've been I've been to your classes, so I know exactly what you mean. But can you expand <laughs> on that for the rest of the rest of us? Okay, so oh man, this I don't know if we're gonna get through this show, dude. Because I, I am going to okay. get fired up about something. Here, let, let me get into it. Hang on. All right. Okay, this is the entertaining part, guys. Just <laughs> just hold on to your seats. <laughs> All right, so two things two things that I see happening. Number one, where people saw. When do you need to saw something for survival? I'm not talking about bushcraft, hobbying. I'm not talking about camping. I'm talking about for survival. Your life is dependent upon you sawing something in half. Okay. Well, dude, I if can, I'm going to build a cabin out in the woods I'm not for my bug out once. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm on a roll here. So okay, go ahead. two things is people want to saw. And I think it's because they've seen Bugs Bunny cartoons uh, for too many years. And they see these nice little cut logs that were cut with a chainsaw or some sort of saw. And the fire looks pretty and it's neat and it's cute and all that stuff. That's one reason that people want to saw. And secondly, uh, they build these bushcraft domiciles, which are little homes that everything matches and it's cute and all the edges are nice and, and flat and all that sort of thing for a visual effect. That's fun. I'm all about people doing that for a, for their own bushcraft hobbying, um, for the fun of it, building a shelter and doing what you want to do. But there's major problems, number one, doing that on public land. We're having tremendous issues with people going into National Forest here in Kentucky, bushcrafting, building all these things, and just leaving them as if it's some sort of trophy. That pisses me off. And number two, as far as survival is concerned, let the fire cut your wood for you. You know, if you've got a 14-foot tree and you can drag it to the fire, then you can put it in the fire and keep pushing it in, and it will burn, and it will not extend out for days out through the forest. Or you can lay it directly over the fire, and it'll cut it in half. The fire will. You don't have to expend the energy. You let the fire do the work for you. And so, you know, these wire saws, I'm not a fan. You know, a hand saw, I can see some uses, particularly for trapping, Okay, where you need to make some intricate cuts that are hard to make. But otherwise, I just, I don't get it. I really don't get it. And I'm going to talk, I mean, they're small, they fit in. I'm going to, I'm going to say virtually 80 to 90% of the pre-made survival kits have these things in them. And even on a practical, beyond what you're saying here is why would you want to cut something? Let's say you did want to actually cut something. They really don't work that good. They hurt your fingers. Sometimes they break. And I did a video a couple of years ago on how to make them a functional tool, but then they get really, really hot and they just really don't work that good. So on a functional, on a theoretical aspect, why would you want to use these things? What do you really need to cut in a survival situation? You know, thumbs down, right? And on a practical level, they really, they really don't function well. They could break, they could become dangerous, and they're going to expend a lot of energies and possibly, I mean, you could hurt your fingers with those things because they're just metal, thick metal rings that that hold this thing together. So that's one. I guess, I guess we both agree on that one. So let's try another one. <laughs> All right. Button compasses. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, man. So when I said, hey, when I said... Uh, <laughs> 
I said, let, Hey, this, uh, just for everybody, listen, this is how this came about. I said, David, I want you to surprise me with all these things just so we can get the real Craig Cottle here. I don't know if that's a good idea now or not. <laughs> okay. So button comps are garbage. Uh, I haven't found one that works. Uh, I was working on a project years ago with a, with a company designing a product that it would have been beneficial to have a button compass in it. I ordered button compasses, expensive ones, cheap ones. I don't know, probably 20 different companies from all over the world. And every time I would get some, I'd ordered about 10 of them minimum. Sometimes I would order more if I could afford them. And there was never, when I say never, I mean never, zero times that I would get those button compasses in that they would be accurate. Okay. Now, with that said, I've got to say this. I had a gentleman the other day that has spent a career in the military. He's retired now. Talk about his button compass is the thing that goes on his watch is the his go-to compass. And I want to make sure everybody understands how, how they can be used if, and this is very important if, if you have one that works, is that if you know how to navigate, you know how to do wilderness navigation, and your primary method of doing that is terrain association which is you're not actually taking asthmas from your, uh, on your compass and moving and utilizing a compass. You're actually doing terrain association and you just kind of use your button compass to orient your map generally, then you'll be just fine if you have a button compass that works. So my, my concern is if you're going to get a button compass, get about 10 of them. If you see them on the rack at a store, for example, then pull them out and you'll notice that they were going, some of them be pointing in different directions. You need to know what north, south, east, and west is before you use one and make sure it's accurate before you use it. So I'm kind of, quite frankly, half and half on this one, David. Oh, uh, some, wow. somewhat opposed. But again, uh, from the train association mindset, I do get it. Uh, and, and I, and I get it because I have to lean on the understanding of somebody who did wilderness navigation to save his own life, you know, over 20 years of his life. So, um, that's, that's important to understand. My experience has been much the same. I have tried to like button compasses for years and years and years. And we actually had this conversation about a week or two ago, and I am currently working on version two of the tiny survival kit. And it's going to be a, a kit that people can just slip in their pocket and all. And it would be really nice, just like you a couple of years ago, it would be really nice to have a navigational tool, a button compass in there that works. So like you, I've been, I've been persistent and ordered several from several manufacturers. And I, I order them in batches of 25 and I get them and I lay them out on the table and it's great. I may have even posted a, picture on instagram but it's crazy dude like i'm gonna say one in ten points in the right direction so if you want to buy 10 or yeah if you want to buy 10 or 25 at a time maybe you can find a couple that that actually point in the the right direction and i have one out here on the table right now that's kind of sort of pointing in the right direction as long as i wiggle it back and forth but if you're in a situation where you you really need that to be accurate you don't know what wiggle gets it facing the right way you're you're sunk so i think we both agree that man i i I would love to love a button compass but i i can't i can't right now because it's a dangerous tool if if you're not uh, using it 
I, I just, yeah, I can't endorse them at this particular point. So no button compasses in the tiny survival kit that is forthcoming there you go. sometime soon. That's yep. a smart move. That's a smart move. Yeah. Yep. And then I just wanted to veer off into there's, I've got a kit here. I'm just going to mention the name. It's, it's, I think it's a company that calls itself Lifeline. It's about a $19 kit and it's got one of these. It, it kind of looks like a, a Sunto or a Silva compass in here, but, uh, it's not, it's definitely not. And I'm walking around kind of in a circle here and it's facing anywhere from fifth right on North to 15 degrees off, depending, depending on where I am. So it's not doing very good. And I, Craig, you wrote a book, you and Tracy wrote a book on wilderness navigation. That is a fantastic book. Do you have anything to add to that as far as just some recommendations for getting a good compass and not being tricked? with some of these ones that end up in cheap survival kits? Uh, I tell you what, I don't mean to be harsh on some companies, but just because I have some information, I need to share it so people uh, really. Um, thanks for the plug for the book, Essential Wilderness Navigation. We go into great detail about these and our recommendations, but we recommend Sunto or Brunton compasses. They work exceptionally well. They are such that uh, the manufacturing process for those two companies are sound. They Silva, not so much anymore. Silva changed their manufacturing process. And, and I tell people this and they see that I carry a Silver Ranger. The Silver Ranger that I carry in my kit, I've been utilizing for over 25 years. 25 years ago, Silva's manufacturing process and uh, production process was sound. And that's why the compass that I have still works exceptionally well. Uh, the same exact compass that I have now, the Silver Ranger, I've bought three or four of them since then, and every one of them have had issues in the last two to three years. And I've bought them um, just for classes and testing and doing all sorts of things with. And so I'm not a fan of Silva personally. Uh, some people still get some, and it's just like everything. If you get a compass, you need to just regularly check it, make sure that it's working uh, know where north, south, east, and west is at your house so that when you, before you leave on any trip, check your compass and make sure it's working right. So let me ask you a quick question here about these uh, digital compasses that are on our smartphones. I mean, there's plenty of apps that have those in there. Do you have any, do you have any thoughts and recommendations on using those? Don't. That's my recommendation is don't use the compass that's on your phone. Uh, I did a video for my YouTube channel on this where I laid several phones out and they were all pointing in nearly opposite directions of one another. Um, there's so much that can cause problems for the compasses in your phone. Now, what I do use my phone for is a GPS. I don't use a GPS, a handheld uh, GPS made for the purpose of being GPS. I use the GPS in my phone and an app now, which I detail in that book too, Gaia app. Um, Tracy, again, the co-author of the book, his search and rescue team, not his, he owns it, but the team that he's on, I should say, they utilize those nearly exclusively now in some of the most inhospitable terrain for using a GPS and they work exceptionally well. We train some, oh man, how do I say this? We trained some federal law enforcement last year on the use of the Gaia app and yeah, I'll leave it at that. Uh, as far as who that is, but those compasses, that app has been utilized in Colombia, Belize. They've been utilized in Iraq and Afghanistan now by the people that we trained. 
and they are getting fantastic results literally all over the world using that app because that app uses the GPS in your modern phone. It doesn't use cell technology, cell, cell phone technology to do that. It uses the GPS, and they're, and they're very accurate. That's great stuff. All right, so next category. I'm just going to have a category here, and then I'm going to mention specific products within that category, and you can add to it. Okay. First thing is fire stuff. So my take is there's tons of fire gimmicks out there. One I'm going to mention, and I don't, I, I don't know that we've discussed this, fire piston. Do you want to describe what that is and uh, give me your take on that? Uh, a fire piston is a fantastic tool to have in your hand if you don't have anything else for self-defense and you need to beat somebody in the face with it. <laughs> I would never use it for uh, fire starting. You with that one. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that's, I would. that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> no, seriously, it's a it would be a really good self defense tool. Uh, if you're into fire starting as a hobby, then go ahead and get one. Make one for yourself uh, for survival. This is the survival show podcast. If you're getting something for survival that you want to pack and you purposely put in your kit, then get a lighter. Uh, get a ferro rod because a fire piston requires a, a fair amount of effort to do it right. Everything's got to everything's got to be right for them to work right most of the time, and um, so I'm just not a fan of them at all. So, do you want to just describe real quick what a fire piston is, what it looks like? So, a survival piston basically works just like a diesel engine. You can think of it that way. You have a handle that has a basically a, a piston inside of it. And what you're trying to create is a lot of uh, pressure and overpressurization inside that handle. So most of the pistons will have an O-ring on them and you slide the, the piston down into the, to the handle and you smack it. And when you smack it, it creates all this pressure inside. And if you take some char cloth or some other material, some, um, some fine material from your environment, you can hit that and it creates such pressure and heat inside there that it'll get a piece of char cloth lit. And then you can take that char cloth or other material and, and utilize it to blow into a flame. I have a beautiful manufactured one here. Here, I followed the instructions. Multiple people have tried it and we have never, ever been able to get anything to work from it yet. So uh, fire pistons... I think it's a kind of a cool physics exper experiment, but I wouldn't rely on it in a survival situation. No. Now, and again, it's good for hobbyists. Uh, it's fun. Yeah, I've yeah. got one too, and, and I've used it for fun, but it's no, 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 not for survival. Next time I get out to your neck of the woods, I'm going to bring mine. Have you show me how to use it? Because I can't get it to work. I'll take it that and I'll throw it in the creek. That's what I'll do. <laughs> you'll, you'll do a self-defense <laughs> class with it. Yeah, exactly. All right. The next one in this fire stuff is... You've got these cheap, they just seem to be popping up everywhere, these cheap survival matches. And what, what I mean by that is it's, again, it's kind of like a piston, but it's not a piston. It's got a, a striker edge on it, a little bit of wick in this, uh, I'm going to call it maybe about an inch long uh, cylindrical thing that goes into a container that I think it's supposed to have lighter fluid or something in there. And then on the side, there's a ferrocerium type striker do you know what i mean by that craig i do yeah those are those are okay they're they're basically a poor version of a zippo lighter 
um, because that's exactly what you just described. You also described a Zippo lighter. And I don't think people understand this, but you've got your wicking material inside of your Zippo lighter that holds and contains basically the white gas or um, lighter fluid. And then you have the striker. And basically that striker on a Zippo lighter is striking a ferro rod inside of that lighter. It's just a tiny one. And so people, I don't think people realize that, that that's actually a ferro rod inside there. So you have those, what you just described, and they're okay. But if I was going to carry, I mean, again, you can't manufacture that from the environment. So if I'm going to carry something that I purposely put in my kit, then then I'm going to carry just a, a Zippo or an Exotac. You know, I'm a big fan of Exotac products. I love their products. And they make some really fantastic lighters that do things over and above what a Zippo can do. So there you go. And this particular design, because to unscrew this striker and reveal that whatever you're going to put in their lighter fluid, I have found they can work, but I've found that because of the seals are usually cheap, that that fuel in there usually dissipates and when you need to use it, yeah. it don't work. So, yep. Let's see, fire stuff. Okay, here's one for you. Parabol- parabolic fire starting kits. So I've got this little like parabolic mirror thing and we've got this section that kind of sits in the center and then it's got like a spring thing on the end and I, I you can put some tinder in that. What do you think of those? If you like fire, then I'm all about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we have one that we utilize when we teach kids. Yeah, almost exactly what you're describing. Primarily to teach kids about the sun and how it works and, and the parabolic lens and all the things that go along with it. And because that's a fascinating science project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's what happens to a lot of this stuff is that somebody missed science class when they were in elementary school or middle school. And so they see this and go, Oh wow, that's really cool. And it is cool. I'm not saying that's not cool. Mm -hmm. It's a cool science project, but it's not something that you want to carry for survival. Now I have utilized the manufactured ones to teach that concept because finding a soda can in the middle of the woods and shining it up and possibly utilizing it to do the same thing is a survival hack. And so if you don't have anything, you might be able to make that work. But, you know, it's just, it's one of those discussion points I might spend five seconds on when I'm doing a fire building class, for example. Hey, you can utilize this and this is how it works. And so it's there, but this is why you need to carry a lighter because a lighter works better, or you need to have a ferro rod on your belt sheath or what have you. So I agree with you. I have that kind of in brackets here as a science education project category. And I don't think they're necessarily overmarketed. They're, they're pretty cool. Uh, I'm going to mention one more thing here. And I'm not even going to ask for your opinion unless you want to, want to jump in. But there are, there are some thick ferro, like I'm going to say a quarter inch thick ferro rod looking imitations out there that when you look at these, they look snappy and tactical and it's about a two and three inch. Yeah. It's like about a three inch long looking ferrocerium rod. But when you get these things, it literally has like a 16th of an inch diameter piece of ferrocerium in this plastic holder that you think is a ferro rod, which it's not. And I'm going to tell you that the strikers on a lot of these are not very good. 
again, because of the tiny survival kit that I'm working on, I got a whole bunch of these sort of things in. And I think it's just a caution to read the reviews before you get something like a ferrocerium rod that you want to have as a backup to your lighter or your matches or whatever. Just make sure that you're getting something that's got good reviews and is of good quality because some of the things that they're trying to pass off as ferro rods are just, they just don't work well. Anything to add there? No, I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but I have a, a good idea. And yeah, it's, you need to inspect these ferro rods when you're getting a good one and, and make sure that they're what you think that you're getting instead of one that's just covered up with plastic. So I think our general recommendations here, Craig, for even the simplest kit is a lighter or two. Get yourself some cotton balls There's, there's, and infuse those with petroleum jelly or a triple antibiotic and have a backup maybe as a ferro rod and some matches and there's your three sources of fire. It's not a bad idea to learn how to do bow drill, but when it comes right down to it, survival should be the exception, right? And three sources of fire should get you through a night or two. Anything else to add on those fire starter gimmicks? Did you have anything else in that category even that came to mind? Um, I'm a big fan of fast fire. They ought to put me they they ought to put me on staff. Um, I did a video series where I looked at fire starters and you know, if if you're gonna carry cotton balls infused with Vaseline, which is the poor man's version of fast fire. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. I use it sometimes too. I use it to start the grill when I'm cooking steaks, deer steak, but man, I'm hungry now. So with that said, uh, fast fire works when it's wet and cotton balls with Vaseline in them do not work when they are wet. Um, so it's, it's something you need to weigh that consequence and that possibility happen to you as well so that you don't run into, oh man, I need fire. Everything's wet. And now even my tender is wet too. So something to consider, but yeah, that's good. Store your cotton. Yeah. Good. Store your cotton balls in a little zip bag and that'll that'll keep them dry. You must do that. All right. Knockoff tourniquets. We both agree on this one and we have talked about this in our recent, uh, first aid, but for the folks that did not hear that, you want to talk through uh, knockoff tourniquets a little bit? Yeah, first off, I'm sitting here shaking my head. Even when you mention knockoff tourniquets, just no, absolutely not. Don't think that you're going to, that it's, okay, how do I say this? If you're going to spend money, there's some things that I personally think that you can get really cheap on. And there's some things you need to spend as much money as you can possibly afford on them and get the best. Tourniquets are one of them. Uh, my recommendation is a soft tee. There's a lot of reasons for that. Maybe we'll get into that some other time. I know we covered it some already. Or a cat's tourniquet. One of those two. And, and you know, Rescue Essentials, Dark Angel Medical. Um, uh, these are a couple of companies that I just know of personally that I've bought gear from that have quality gear. And so I'm a big fan of them. But, but, uh, do everything you can to make sure you have a good tourniquet. Like, man, where was that? Oh yeah. I taught when I, I taught survival three weeks ago, our wilderness survival course three weeks ago. And I tell everybody don't buy kit items, just bring what you have so I can look at it and I can help you with it. And this guy brought a knockoff tourniquet and it was a good opportunity because, uh, we got to look at it and see 
how cheaply made it was. I mean, you need to look at the stitching. You need to know it's a, it's a cat's tourniquet or it's a soft tourniquet, whichever one you're going to get. And, and the stitching was terrible. The material that the windlass was attached to was terrible. And so, I mean, it was just a tourniquet that may have worked, but it may have not worked too. Whereas a, a bona fide soft tee or, or cats is, is, is going to work. Mm-hmm. Yep. I just picked up a cat or no, a soft tee and I really like it. It was, it was super simple and it, it just makes a lot of sense. So I highly recommend that too. Thanks Craig for that recommendation. All right. Pre-made first aid kits. It just depends on where you're getting them. If you're getting a pre-made first aid kit from Walmart or uh, your big box stores, like even Cabela's, uh, I, I looked at one the other day at Cabela's and, and I think you said this in a podcast, David, but if there were 75 items in a first aid kit from Walmart, then, you know, 60, of, 65 of those items are going to be various sizes of band-aids. And so, um, if you're going to get a pre-made first aid kit from again, rescue essentials or dark angel medical or some company that primarily focuses on building kits, then you're going to have a good kit. Uh, I think it's worthy of your investment of time and energy and money to get some training and learn in training what works and then build your own kit from there. And if you don't feel like building your own kit, then, uh, you know, get one of these companies that build bona fide kits. And like you said about the Band-Aids, and we have mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again. If you have 75 things in, in that kit and 65 of them are various different types of and sizes of, of band-aids more often than not, I'm going to say 90% of the time there are going to be band-aids that are going to not really stick very well. Yeah. So. Yeah. True. That's a good point. I remember I was thinking that and I'm glad you brought it up again. Cause we said it the other day, I will add this in. I think me and you talked about this one at one training that we did together, but like adventure medical kits, I'm just calling them out there. I don't think they're really good kits, but they make good kit containers. So what I've done in the past, because I really like the containers, is I'll buy one of the cheap kits. Then I'll take the Band-Aids and put them in my home stuff. That way, if I need a Band-Aid and it doesn't work, well, I've got another one kind of thing. And then I use that container to actually put better first aid supplies in. And that way, it's, you know, uh, I, I get to use everything that's in it. But, but again, I, it's better, in my opinion, to build your own kit. Yep. And particularly, just so we don't leave you guys hanging on what type of Band-Aid to get, I've just had nothing but success with Band-Aid brand. And I know there's a particular type of brand, Band-Aid brand that you like, Craig, and that is? The stretchy ones. I don't know what they're called. The ones that stretch. I mean, me and, and my hands, uh, and I'm going to be doing stuff on my hands, but that's where I get cut all the time and scratched and all that stuff. I want it to. I want to be able to put something on and get back to work. I don't want to get back to work and then it just fall off 15 minutes later. So I'll have the stretchy ones, and usually, depending upon what I'm doing, I'll I'll sometimes put duct tape over it just to keep it on there, so I can keep the wound clean. Good stuff. And the tiny survival kit that will be coming soon will have at least one Band-Aid brand Band-Aid in it. All righty. So folding pack shovels. Man, those are those things are almost like um, tourniquets. There's so many knockoffs that are made of junk that they're not valid. If you're getting one and you pick it up and you go, on, that's heavy. 
then you probably got a good one. If you pick one up and go, wow, that really surprised me how light it is, then don't pick it up and buy it. Um, I've, we've had classes, we've had classes where people have brought those and they literally break the first time they dig with them. Um, and I think I did a, I know what I did. I wrote a blog for uh, ultimate survival tips a long time ago. Uh, I don't know if you remember that gear that I hate or some variation of it. And I, I bought one of those shovels to take photos with it. And I took it out and was digging with it. And it actually broke. I'm talking, it broke within 30 seconds of me using it. And I was just trying to dig a hole to take a picture with a shovel next to the hole. I didn't even get the hole dug. And I mean, this thing was like $40. It was, I'm going to call it out. I mean, it was made by SOG. It was terrible. Those, those things are terrible. Now, back in my, way back in the day in the Marine Corps, we did have those and they were totally legit. And yeah, we man. used them for everything, you know, entrenching tools, right? I've and, got three or four of them. I've got one in every vehicle I own and in, in uh, some other kits that I carry for different purposes. They, they're good tools. But they're heavy. They are heavy. And, you know, is that something that you're going to pack everyday carry into the woods? Not for me. I actually have a little folding trowel that I use for, you know, particular business that has to happen uh, when I'm out in the wilderness. But other than that, I don't pack a shovel. If I was going to pack a shovel, I would use my good military spec uh, entrenching tool. Uh, there, there's a, you've seen these, Craig, and I'm not sure what your opinion is. This one is particularly made by Cold Steel. It's, I'm going to say that that's probably about 18 inches long. And I think they call this their special forces shovel. It's based off of apparently a Russian design and, uh, you know, it doesn't fold, but it comes with a sheath that has some molly webbing that can strap onto a pack. Have you had any experience with these Craigs? I don't know if you've seen these. I know I've had them out to the trainings we've done together, but. I don't recall what those are, Dave, and so I don't have I can't okay. give an, I can't give it a good opinion on those. Yeah, they're interesting. It's it's more of a it's a little bit of a flatter uh, type shovel end, but they're sharpened the whole way around. And the interesting thing is they actually perform fairly well as a hatchet. Is it something that I carry and use all the time? No, but around the house here, I I have used these and I have used these at trainings, and it's 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 an interesting tool and. If their quality is still the same as when I got these about three or four years ago, I don't know what kind of steel they use, but the steel works really good and it and it keeps an edge uh, pretty well. So there's that. Anything else on these shovels? Do you carry uh, no, a shovel in your survival kit or when you're backpacking at all? No, I keep one in my truck, but I don't carry one in my pack. It's just too heavy to to carry, and and I think I can make a dig and stick to do most of what I need to do. Yep. Good stuff. Okay. Next one is any survival kit whose name starts with the word zombie. What are your <laughs> thoughts? <laughs> this is another way that people are making money for sure. And taking advantage of this, this mindset of zombie stuff. And there's some, I, I, I have personally not seen it. I'm open to it, you all. If you all are hearing me and you see a zombie survival kit and think it's worthwhile, then send me one. I'll take a look at it or send me a link to it. I'll take a look at it. But I haven't seen anything that falls under the zombie niche of things that is anything more than a glamorization of a hobby. Um, and, and I just don't, I don't, most of it's not good. And again, I'm open to seeing one that's a good one, but most of them are not. Well, I've got one right here. It's called the Zombie 
Apocalypse Survival Kit. I got it off of Amazon, and it has a tactical knife, um, not much of a tactical knife, a multi-tool card, not really good. It's one of those fire starters like that that uh, one that we talked about earlier that has a striker on it, a paracord bracelet, a skull-faced mask. You need that. One button compass, one one cheap carabiner, earplugs, because you, you need those for survival. Steel wire. Oh, okay, it's a wire saw. Then over here, this is the good stuff. Two zombie stickers, one zombie hunting permit, one zombie, sur- zombie survival card, Stop. info card. Stop. <laughs> Two glow Just sticks. Stop. <laughs> Just stop. All right, so that's that's the zombie apocalypse survival kit. If you're into zombies and you want to impress somebody with your zombie apocalypse knowledge and gear, that might be for you. All right. How, now, I've seen, I mentioned. Hey, the, let, me, let me say this again. Yeah, yeah, want, go ahead. Go ahead, man. I, I do want to say this about zombie kits. If, if it's getting you outside. <laughs> and you're enjoying yourself, and you're learning about being outdoors, then I'm all about you carrying a zombie kit. I really am. I don't care if your SE knife is fluorescent yellow. I mean, that's why they made those knives, because people were interested in carrying a big zombie fluorescent yellow knife, and SE makes a good knife, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, okay. I, I am a, I am about that, but don't think that, that for example, that kit is not a survival kit. That's a, hey, I want to play zombie stuff. And again, if, you know, if that's what it takes to get people outside, then I'm all about it. Just don't depend upon it. Good stuff. I've got another kit here, Craig. And and you would, if you searched on Amazon or anywhere, you're going to see this kit pop up from about 15 different manufacturers because you can get it on Alibaba and you can get these pretty cheap. It's a red, uh, maybe a little bit larger than a survival tin thick. Okay. Let me say something real kit. quick. Yeah, go ahead. P, you mentioned something. People probably don't know what Alibaba is. Alibaba is basically a, a basically a clearinghouse for people to buy overseas, very cheaply, very inexpensive items. Everything ranging from from uh, car parts to survival kits, um, knitting needles, and everything in between. So, if you're interested in that sort of thing, uh, and a lot of companies do, they buy stuff very cheaply. And I'm not saying there's Anything that you get from Alibaba is worthless. There's some stuff that you can get that has quality to it, but mm-hmm. but yeah, go ahead. Sure. Fin- finish on. Yep. I didn't know if everybody, prob- most people don't want Alibaba is. No, that was a good place to stop me. Yep. And so this one just says SOS on it. It's a red kit. And you could, if you go to Amazon and you search survival kit, this is going to come up about 15 or 20 times. And so I, I, I think the thing I just want to mention is just be really careful. It's got some stuff in it. Again, it's got one of these ring wire Saws. It's got a button compass. It's got a what they call multi-purpose survival. Are you looking at tool. it? I am. I have it right here. Mm-hmm. Pull that button yep. compass out and see if it's accurate. It is. It is right now pointing about fifteen degrees off of north. <laughs> see, which is not bad. That's, that's one of the better ones that, that I have. <laughs> oh, and man. and I just turned and it's and it's pointing right at north now. Oh yeah. Oh great. North. So it's it's going to hit north. I'm facing north part of the time. <laughs> Yep. And, you know, I mean, this has got some stuff that if you looked at the list, you would think, hey, this is pretty useful stuff. It's got a multi-tool with a flashlight on it and a serrated edge and a and a little pocket knife and a screwdriver. But I'm just going to tell you, the knife isn't sharpened. The serrated knife isn't sharpened. The 
the uh, screwdrivers are too small to do anything but eyeglasses, and this thing's just going to break the first time you use it. So, and I've got several other kits out here. Here's one company that I do recommend their kits, and I like them as far as these smaller, anywhere from Altoids tin size on up. And it's a company that is called dun, 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 Best Glide. Best Glide uh, makes some pretty decent kits. Again, as always, check them out uh, before you get them and check out the reviews. But they originated with coming up with uh, uh, survival kits for aviation. Best Glide. Get it? So uh, they they actually make some legit serious kits. And so if you're looking for a kit of that sort, check out Best Glide. They've got several of them out here. I'm looking at the Be Prepared kit, which was done for the Boy Scouts a few years ago. Anything else on these uh, survival pre-made zombie kits? No. No, I think that's it. All right. Here's a big pet peeve of mine, and I want to hear what you... Oh, man, I gave it away that I don't like this. But anyway, what do you th- what do you think of these pull sharpeners? Do you know what I mean by that? The two-bladed sharpeners where you pull your knife through, and it's supposed to sharpen it. Do you have any opinions there? Because I have some strong ones. Okay. Do you want It'll... me to go first? No, you asked me to go first. Okay. I'll go first. <laughs> um, blah, blah, blah. It, for those that don't have any training or ability to sharpen a knife, they will help you get a knife sharper for a very short period of time. For those that know how to take care of a knife, then there's much better options than those available. That's all you have to say? Good. Yeah. You gave me lots of space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead. I, I, you know, go ahead. I want to hear what you have to say on that. So I'm I'm doing a, a multi-year, multi-part series on sharpening, and it's kind of been my progress and what I've learned from the old timers and all of that. I haven't quite got to these yet in that series, but here's the deal. I've got one, and I'm just going to mention the name here because it's okay. It's Smith's. Smith's does some decent stuff, but it's a little pocket sharpener, and it's got it's got a diamond uh, conical maybe two inch long diamond sharpener there that they actually, that part flips out and it actually works quite well for serrated edges. If you know how to sharpen those, but then it has a ceramic side and a carbide side and carbide is just a very hard steel. And the way these things work is they've basically got two edges that uh, form a point that is a specific non changeable angle. So I'm going to guess right here and say that this is probably set at 19 degrees. Both of these are set at 19 degrees. The ceramic one, uh, you know, that's okay. It's not going to ruin your knife. But but I have literally ruined knives on these carbide sharpeners just to prove to myself because I wanted to like them because they actually come on some knives that on some knife sheaths and stuff like that. But my experience is if you have any imperfection on the knife and you run it across this carbide, very hard steel edge, you're going to continually accentuate that imperfection. So let's just say that you're not, you just make a mistake and you ding up your knife. This is not going to fix that. It's going to make it worse. And another thing that I don't like about them is they just take off a lot of material, especially the carbide end. You're going to do anything, use the ceramic end. But here's the issue. Even when your knife company 
says that the edge on your knife is 22 degrees, it's going to be plus or minus at least one degree. So it could be 23, it could be 20, maybe it's even 19. These are set fixed. And I don't know what this one is particular, but let's just say it's 19 degrees. If you have a 22 degree edge on your knife and you put it into a 19 degree sharpener, you're going to take off a lot of steel before you actually start to affect the very edge of that knife. So just know that, you know, if you have a good knife, you're probably going to ruin it in one of these carbide sharpeners. If you've got maybe a, you see these a lot in kitchen knives and sometimes they're matched with kitchen sets. I'm not a fan of them, but if the manufacturer is matching the, the edge of the, the carbide blades with the actual edge of the knife, then they could work okay. But I've just seen them do more damage than, than benefit. But then again, like Craig said, I, I'm, I'm kind of, this may be one we agree, we disagree on Craig, because I, I see the potential for more harm of your primary tool, especially in a survival situation than anything. What I would say is get yourself a, a good quality diamond sharpener, even a stone sharpener, and just learn how to use it. It's actually not that hard. And wear a leather belt, and then you can strop that. Uh, if you have a good steel to start with and, you know, knives just get dull after use, even appropriate use, nine times out of 10, just stropping, learning how to strop a knife is going to return it to a very, very sharp edge that's going to serve you well. So that's what I have to say about them. I think, I think, we, I think we disagree probably more than we normally do on these. <laughs> no, actually, I think we agree more than I think you realize. I, I mean, I think... I think the key is stropping. I mean that—that's the key. I mean, and, and and I think I may have mentioned this. I don't know who I was if I was writing about this or video or talking to you on the podcast. But last winter, a few of us got together and we built rocking chairs. I mean, took a hickory tree from a tree to rocking chairs with no no power tools. Well, we used a chainsaw to cut the tree down, but everything else was done with wedges and draw knives and all that. You know, just you know, the old skills, the gentleman that was teaching us how to do this, we hardly, the only time we used a stone to sharpen any tool that we used was when we were getting a tool that we had not used yet. And we got it out and it had dings in it. Like a few of us bought some extra draw knives and we needed to get that edge back the way it needed to be. Everything else was done with a strop. And I'm talking, we built rocking chairs from a tree people. And we stropped everything. We hardly ever used a stone. And this is because he taught us how to strop properly. And we used our our tools properly. And we just, we never needed to sharpen them other than stropping after every time we used them. That's the key. And a good, a good quality tool is going to do that. And I learned stropping way back in the day when I was doing some knife carving and the old timers, they, they never sharpened their, they like, they never taught me and they never did it. They never sharpened their carv- their hand carving tools. They just, they taught me how to, uh, they told me the right stropping compound to get and they set me up with the right strop. And that's where I started to learn that like, hey man, if you're, if you're using your tool for its design spec, stropping is going to do it. I hardly ever sharpen my knives anymore. And people just kind of look at me like, what? And then I just start with stropping. 
we want to start with a stone. We want to start with a device. You know, save the metal on your knife and strop first. If you don't know how to do that, Craig, do you have any videos up or any training on that? Because I know I do on Ultimate Survival Tips YouTube. So, no, I don't have anything on YouTube yet. Uh, my new knife is going to come out in the near future. And when that happens, I'm going to have a video that goes along with that knife in particular that is going to be a general study on knife sharpening. But until then, I don't. All right. I've got one or two more things here. Survival tablets. The perfect superfood just in case. Do you have any opinion on those? Yeah, I actually ordered some of those. Well, when okay. I say ordered them, I contacted the company and said, would you send me some of those? I I looked at the the nutritional content of them and there's some legitimate nutritional content, but it's, but I tried to, I tried to live on them for a week and here's how just people have asked me many times this sort of question, but, but, uh, if somebody sends me a product and they want me to do a video on it and I do a video on it and I do not like the product at all, I will give them two choices. And that is one, I'll tell them I don't like the product and this is what I think they can do to improve upon it. If they email me back and say, that's great, Craig, we're going to look into it and we'll, you know, we'll see what we can do with it. We appreciate your advice. Then I won't put that bad review up. (laughs) If, if, however, they blow me off and don't listen to me as a professional reviewer, then I'll probably go ahead and put it up. And I've done that a few times. Uh, I did put a video up where that stuff did not meet the standard by which it's marketed it. I just didn't have, I was getting sick on those things for only after about three or four days. I was not healthy. I felt down. I was beat down. I, I felt like I was had pneumonia or something. It was terrible. And I don't know other than the fact that I wasn't eating my normal diet, obviously, but you know, no, I'm not a fan of those. I, I have nothing else to add to that, Craig. I'm I'm in complete agreement there. Yep. Okay. I did reach out to Tim at Everyday Tactical Vids. Thanks, Tim. Tim. And I does asked, Tim listen to Tim. our podcast? He does listen to the podcast. Yeah. He what's does. up, Tim? I know you're listening. When you hear when you hear <laughs> me saying, "Hey, Tim, what's up?" Remember that first time we met? Shoot me a text and just say something to me. Just make me giggle a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell that story now. We'll have Tim on sometime, and we'll let. Yeah, hey, that sounds good. I like Tim. He's a good story. dude. Yeah. Yeah, let's do that. So Tim had mentioned these kind of survival cards. Mostly, his uh, I think his take was some of them are legit. Uh, I think the tiny survival card for what it is 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 a cool thing. But I'm looking at the Wallet Ninja right now, as seen on TV. And back in the day, I think it was Alone Season Two or Season Three. They asked me to do a video to promote the show, so it was a sponsored video. And they did this awesome giveaway for the Alone Survival card. So it was like this gizmo kind of card that was super duper thick and it looked, you know, really cool. But it was all about turning your, turning a stick into a hatchet. And I think that's kind of what he meant. (laughs) So what do you think of some of these? Oh, he also mentioned something about any survival card that has a wrench you know, these uh, like number two or number eight or quarter inch wrench things built in, they're probably not a serious survival card. What do you have to say? (laughs) Wallet Ninja! (laughs) Do you remember those? I I still have one that's unopened. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) The Wallet Ninja! Use it every day. Fits in your wallet. 
the power of 18 reliable, functional, everyday carry tools in the size of a credit card. You don't remember the commercials, dude. <laughs> From when? From when? Oh, uh, this is going to be like four or five years ago. Oh, I haven't I'm watched TV have you, in 20 I'm gonna, years, David. <laughs> dude, I'm going to put a picture of this on my Instagram because it is just, the packaging is just amazing. But anyway, what do you think about some of these uh, survival, survival, everything in one card so that if you have it in your wallet, it's going to fix everything for you? I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I don't. I don't carry one, and I'll leave it at that. How's, how's that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff, man. So, did you have anything else? Oh, one thing that we didn't get to, and I, I think I'm going to mention it because we've already talked about this uh, snake bite kits, but I think it's important because we're getting new listeners all the time, and snake bite kits is one of those fear items that. Uh, neither one of us carry nor recommend, but I think you've got some good reasons why. Do you want to just talk about that for a minute? They just don't work. Uh, basically, venomous snakes, when they envenomate you, the venom is going to attach itself to muscle tissue and or blood and travel through your lymphatic system. And there is no suction kit that is going to pull that back out. It's impossible. Um I think people thought the whole idea of sucking blood out with your mouth, which is an old, you know, cut two X's on the venom bites and then suck it out. I don't know where that got started. That's stupid too. That, that all that does is suck venom into your face and quick and makes it quicker to get to the person that sucked it out and into their brain. So people tried to come up with a safe way of doing something that was stupid. And the safe way of doing something stupid was to make a product that's even stupider. And that's not even a <laughs> word. So, <laughs> so it's, it's just, I don't know, what are they going to do next? Yeah. Have a battery-operated one that makes it even more dumb? I just, uh, no, 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 no. And, and here's the thing. There, there was a guy on my Facebook, well, what Facebook group was? Yeah, it was a Facebook group for an area that I like to frequent here who had a picture of a venomous snake, and I asked some questions of him, and, and uh, somebody questioned what he would do if he, was bitten by the snake. And he said, Oh, I'm good. I won't even need a, I won't need an escort out. I've got everything that I need to take care of a snake bite in my pack. And that's just whatever that is, unless he's talking about the keys to his car, he's, he's not intelligent. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Cause that's not snake, how snake venom works. I think it's, it's, it goes back again to this anti-intellectualism and that's what I just, it drives me crazy that I'm part of this industry that thrives on people being stupid and it's unfortunate and, and it's very unfortunate because outdoors in particular, I know I, I focus a lot of attention on wilderness survival and being outside, but there's so much beauty and there's so much enrichment that can be had from being outside. And it's just unfortunate that people take advantage of people and sell a snake bite kit when it's a piece of garbage. It's just, it is a complete and total waste of money. That's good, man. You want to take us on out of here, Craig? Yeah, man, this has been a good show. I'm glad uh, you got to throw the surprises at me, too. That was kind of fun. I like being surprised. But for everybody listen, just please subscribe to the podcast now. Hit that subscribe button. I can't begin to tell you how free that is and how easy that helps us. 
and you don't have to spend a dime. We really appreciate that. If you want to support us, then go back to the beginning of the podcast and you hear all those ways that I mentioned. We really, oh man, I can't tell you how much we appreciate everybody that's supporting us through financial donations or, or buying gear from the companies that we recommend. That's all vital. So if you subscribe, you won't miss out on any episodes at all. And we really appreciate each of you that are listening that have already done that, that have already subscribed. Give us a five-star review wherever you're listening, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or Google or wherever it might be. And check out the description below to get any links that we mentioned today in the show. And I think that's it, guys and gals. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Survival Show Podcast. Keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.